Hey, Mike Ulmer here. The great Mark Pettipaw lent me this space to remind you that now is a great time to write your nonfiction book. I've interviewed 10,000 people. I've written 19 books, and I want to help you write yours. Here's how we do it. First, we interview you. Then we give you a detailed step-by-step blueprint for your book based on that interview. We write your thousand-word introduction, throw in some cover ideas, and suggest a title. And here's the best part. We assign a writer to help you answer all your questions for a calendar year. You're going to be so sick of us. Click the link, I want to write my book, in Mark's show notes for a free consultation. At the very least, we'll help you find your story and send you on your way free of charge. Now it's on to lessons in leadership from the stockroom to the boardroom with my friend, Mark Pettipa. Good evening and welcome to the inaugural, inaugural lessons in leadership from the stockroom to the boardroom podcast. My name is Mark Pettipa and I'll be your host um, and first guest for this inaugural podcast. Uh, my vision and desire is to bring you real stories from real leaders. Um, and share with you what really goes on behind the scenes and where you should really invest your time and how badly you screw up through the process and how much stronger you get from that. You know, I've, I've had the luck, um, you know, uh, maybe not the luck. I've had, you know, maybe the honor to have worked for some tremendous leaders um, through my career, having started in a stockroom, you know, all the way to the boardroom. You know, when I when I started in business, I had no idea my journey would take me to Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, TELUS, uh, vice president roles, to president roles, and now as an entrepreneur with my own consulting business. Um, but while I had my head down doing the work, lo and behold, life happened. Um, and I learned from a lot of mistakes along the way, but I only got to where I was today only and only because... Somehow, fate dealt me the cards to work for some tremendous people and to realize when I wasn't um, and and make changes in my career to ensure that I was. So, you know, I'm not going to share any of the negative stories, I think, through this. I'd really like to accentuate the positives. My desire is through my guests on this podcast is to bring leaders who can share with you that they are exact. They have been exactly where you are today. If you're following along in this podcast, they've questioned themselves. They've wondered how they would take the next step. They dealt with the same frustrations you deal with in working for a bad boss or not getting promoted when you think you were ready or not getting the opportunity you deserved. Um, and they'll share with you some of the stories that they've had along the way. And, and I will certainly do that. And I'll start that this evening. So, you know, in this inaugural podcast, I certainly put it out there that anyone who wants to be a guest and I'll certainly post on LinkedIn and on my website and a couple other of my social media avenues that I'm looking for interesting guests. Um, but, you know, I'll name a few where I've been lucky to work with in the past and they all have their different stories. You know, I had the pleasure when I was younger um, to meet a gentleman by the name of Mark McRae. Now, Mark McRae was my district manager at Champ Sports when I was, well, back when it was called Champion Sport in Quebec because of the famous Bill 101. Um, and we had to have a French name in Quebec to protect the language. Um, and so Champs had to reinvest in signage in Quebec. We were the only store in, in Quebec in the entire chain uh, to be called Champion because the name was bilingual. 
Anyways, I had a uh, district manager by the name of Mark McRae, and here I was, um, failing university student, uh, more interested in partying in his life than than growing a career. Uh, but when I worked to, went to work, I loved what I did, and, and I knew I wanted to grow within the company. Um, I just didn't know how to get there. And so the store manager at the time, a gentleman by the name of André Giroux, brought me in, and he said, listen, you know, because I was working at the McDonald's in, in Promenade Saint-Bruno in the same mall, and he brought me in. He said, listen, I, I can't get you on the sales floor, um, but I do need a guy in the stock room. You know, and in the stock room, if you've worked for Foot Locker or Champs or Athletes World in your past, it meant shifting the shoes based on a code, on a barcode, ensuring they were all in order, um, left to right, if I remember properly, bottom to top, uh, by size and by skew. Um, so the sales team could come in and quickly find the shoes they needed for the clients. Same thing for any of the equipment in the back. Any apparel needed to be folded and size ordered and ready to go on the sales floor either during the course of a busy day or at night when the store closed or in the morning when they were re-merchandising. Anyways, Mark McRae comes along in my life. Still a, uh, still a friend today. I almost called a family member because I really believe um, he's treated me like family through my entire career and instantly turned me on to leadership. And of course, André Giroux was fantastic as well. Um, and also a gentleman that I respect tremendously. But Mark McCree came along and, you know, where, where, where Mark really excelled was his ability to connect with people. He was an excellent retailer, knew the business, but his ability to connect with people was really the thing that hooked me into my retail career at the time. Because Mark, as a district manager, would come in and see someone like myself in a stock room in one of his stores and stop and talk to me and ask me about my life and ask me about my views on the business. Something as simple as, hey, do you think we could arrange the stock room in an easier manner for you? How is it, how is it to bring in shipments? What's the paperwork like? Um, and I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I'm this like, you know, kid in school who, who can't believe this big executive from Ontario is coming in and asking me about the business. And as my career progressed and I got onto the sales floor and I became an assistant manager and a store manager, you know, Mark showed that um, that care for me and that servant leadership approach to make sure I was successful, provided a ton of recognition, but was the first guy to kick me in the ass um, professionally and nicely based on facts and based on behaviors. Um, so Mark really, really, you know, as an individual and a human being, he's never changed. That's who he is. And, and there's a theme there. You know, a lot of the great servant leaders, they're, they're just wired that way as people. Mark was a ton of fun. Still is a ton of fun. He's going to hear this podcast and figure what happened. <laughs> Mark, he's a Habs fan, so like me, um, ton of fun, great guy, um, but ultimately cares for people. And he just treats everybody that way inside and outside of business. So Mark McRae was my first my first leadership lesson on, on how to treat people. Um, and then when I you know moved uh, out of Quebec after managing Champ Sports for a little while, I moved into Ontario. Sure enough, following Mark McRae and his new company. And then when he went over to Athletes World as uh, director of operations, I went in there and was running Eaton Center uh, for him. And then, you know, a senior store manager overseeing some openings in other stores. Uh, and that behavior was consistent. And I was able to grow. And, and, and the story of my career is I've usually left organizations for growth. Um, even if I was happy, if the opportunity didn't present itself, I, I chased that next opportunity because I knew I wanted to continue to grow. And I don't feel bad about that at all. You know, I, I didn't leave companies after six months. We're talking five, six years um, of learning, contribution. I gave them all my all. They gave me their all. And I moved on to continue that growth and give it somewhere else. 
Uh, but I left Athletes World, uh, went to Roots for a little bit, great Canadian company, worked for a gentleman by the name of Martin Bandura. Different style from Mark McRae, but also a great re re uh, retailer. Knew his business very well, and him and I connected very well. You know, he had his approach, and he respected mine. And, and those two things, you know, uh, worked together really well. Martin was very analytical. Um, I was probably more people-driven. Uh, he saw that strength in me and, and saw how that could complement him and grow his team. Um, so I did that for a little bit, and then I headed over to TELUS Mobility. And this is where leadership changed for me. Um, I had the pleasure of working for two ladies uh, by the name of Lisa Larder and Jackie Fu. And you can watch as many servant leadership motivational speeches that you want. I do them as well. Um, you could read as many books as you want. You will not learn as quickly um, in any of those forums and avenues that you will in working for two ladies like Lisa and Jackie. And so they demonstrated servant leadership on every single day. They challenged us as area managers. So I was running uh, TELUS Mobility stores in Ontario and Manitoba at the time. Um, and there were multiple area managers across the country. They challenged us, not just from the business results perspective, but where it really turned for me from a leadership perspective is they were almost as focused on the individual um, development of the staff and the behaviors as they were on the KPIs and the financials. And it made total sense. The more you develop your people, the more successful they're going to be, the more business results they're going to create. And that all starts with behavioral development and investment as a leader in growing their skills. Um, and their styles were fantastic. I mean, Jackie is one of the most inspirational leaders you're ever going to meet. And Lisa, who has her own business in Ottawa, and you should certainly check her out at Lisa Larder. Um, she also has a book, a Pilot to Profit, I believe. Lisa, if you're listening to this and I screwed up that title, I'll apologize, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, and she's just an inspirational person. When I started my business, sure enough, she caught wind of it, reached out, and already started to challenge me on a few things that I've learned from and changed in, in, in my vision for my business just based on that little bit of feedback. But again, um, Lisa and Jackie, tremendous leaders, analytical, yet people-driven, and they had a really, really smart strategic mind approach when it came to people skills and development, as well as developing their business. And, and, and those two ladies today, I hold on such a high pedestal from a leadership perspective. Um, I think anybody who hears this podcast and was working with at TELUS um, with those ladies, or even Bruce Herskovici at the time, who was phenomenal, um, just a quieter leader, but a great strategic leader. Having those influences in your life are, are very dramatic and, and they help you impact others as you grow your career because you want to pay it forward. So anyways, work to tell us, have, have a lot of stories there. Um, but again, I'm going to keep this podcast to about a half an hour this evening, um, but just a lot of learning. And again, focused on developing people. You know, then I, I got the call. I was in Windsor, uh, Devonshire Mall, and I had... No desire to leave TELUS. I mean, you talk about an organization that actually lived the vision and values on the wall. Um, incredible. Uh, but I get a call and it's, uh, I believe, I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. Ugh, small firm out of Mississauga at the time. I think it was Colin Montgomery. I'm trying, or is that a golfer? It might be both. I think it was Colin Montgomery. <laughs> Shit, it might be the golfer. Anyways, um, totally sober on this first podcast for the record. Um, 
I get this recruiter call and they're like, hey, Mr. Pettipaw, you know, we, we, we have a client who's interested in you. And I said, well, you know what? I'm, I'm quite happy at TELUS, even if it's a growth opportunity. I think this is a time in my career when I stay put and I want to grow with this organization. There's tons of opportunity and they're just one of the best places to work. So no, thank you. And the gentleman says, well, that's unfortunate. Um, it's with a professional sports organization. Okay. I love TELUS, but, you know, just out of curiosity, tell me a little more. Um, you know, and so they share it's a director of consumer products role, which is basically, you know, a in the big pro sports league. It's their retail shops. It's their e-commerce business. It's their online business. And so this recruiter says, you know, um, it's um, a team here in Canada. And I'm like, oh, my God, diehard Habs fan here. Oh, my God, they found me. I can't believe it. The dream job. And then they said, it's Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. <sighs> Teasing. Um, so many positive stories about MLSE. But, you know, exaggeration aside about being a Habs fan, what an honor to be considered to go work for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Raptors. And at the time, that was it. There was no Toronto Marlies yet in Toronto. They were still in St. John's. Um, and there was no Toronto FC. But they said, you know, they, they want to take their... You know, what is really a, a, an online catalog business and their souvenir shops, uh, which is what the recruiter called them because they weren't treating it as professional retailers. And they want someone to come in with some leadership and some discipline around behavioral development, skills development, KPIs, strategic planning, etc. Um, they were honestly looking for someone else. That individual gave your name. I still don't know who that person is to this day. So thank you, whoever you are. Um, and they'd like to interview you, but we'd like to meet you first. So I met with a recruiter. We hit it off. Clearly, I tease about the Habs and the Leafs, but wow, what a, what a organization to work for and what an industry. So take the opportunity I meet with the next person in my career who's just had such a, I guess, you know, Bob had, and his name is Bob Hunter. Bob Bob was my boss. He at the time time he was executive vice president of facilities and live entertainment. So Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment at the time at least was really split up into three business avenues. So you know you had Ian Clark as the senior leader running the finance part of the business. Um, you had Bob Hunter who was venues and live entertainment. So that basically meant all of the operations on event night in those facilities, including the revenue generation within the facility, food and beverage, merchandise, security ushers, ticket operations, everything that goes on the night of Bob had accountability to, as well as booking all the concert business, driving that revenue and, ma and managing those events. Again, he did it through some tremendous people like Patty Ann Tarleton, who is again, a phenomenal leader, uh, CEO, COO of Ticketmaster now, I believe. Um, two amazing people on live event production and Jim Rowe, who was there when I started, and then Jim Steele. Those guys put on events and had the huge respect of the live entertainment industry. So Bob had a great team, but Bob was accountable for that. The third avenue was Tom Anselmi, a name you may have heard uh, before. He actually uh, progressed to president of uh, MLSC and then I believe now is with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, as the president of business operations, Tom is a phenomenal leader and a phenomenal human being. Always took time to speak at industry events, universities. It was always giving back. Uh, just a great guy. And Tom ran, you know, your traditional sexy side of the business, right? So your your sales and marketing of the teams, your corporate partnerships, um, the broadcast side of the business, um, all of that in HR, you know, went through Tom. Anyways, so my first interview was with Bob, and for the first role, it was Director of Consumer Products at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. 
So we do the interview. Bob and I hit it off. You know, when I interview, I have one rule. I, I certainly want to show up my best. I want you to see me on my A game so you know what that looks like. But I also want to give you full transparency. I'm going to tell you what I don't know. So heaven forbid you hire me and you expect me to know it. Um, but I also want to demonstrate when I share that with you, past learning experiences where I've closed functional leadership gaps. And so, you know, we had that level of dialogue um, because I was now becoming, you know, I've gone from retail ops to buying and merchandising all under that director of consumer products role and e-commerce. You know, traditionally I was bricks and mortar retail skills, development managers, district managers, etc. But the, the buying side and merchandising side of the business, I didn't have that functional experience and I needed that to be known. Um, so we went through that interview process. Bob was great. Bob, again, um, where I was going with Bob is Bob's just a tremendous human being. I would tell you he's one of the best bosses I've had, uh, but more importantly, one of the great friends I've had. He's been there for me um, my entire life, um, you know, through some some interesting times in my career, always a sounding board, always willing to go grab a beer and catch up with me. And, and you know, this is 10, 15 years later, just one of those and, you know, we never called it a mentor relationship, um, but he certainly was one of my biggest mentors who I can always lean on, uh, grab a pint with and, and talk about life and business. So interview with Bob, that goes well. You get the second interview, which like most organizations, you'll interview with your boss and then you'll interview with the second level boss who they report to. So because Bob was the EVP, the CEO was Richard Petty uh, and Richard Petty. Again, you're, you're not going to hear too much negative on these calls about the people I bring up. I'll tell some stories about the bad ones, but I won't name them <laughs> or where they were. But but you even learn great lessons from bad leaders or what you perceive to be bad leaders. Those same individuals could be phenomenal leaders to 99% of the other people. There's just not a connection with me. Um, anyways, Richard Petty, phenomenal leader. Um, you know, that guy was resilient. When he believed in something, he followed through. He had vision. Maple Leaf Square is what it is today because of Richard Petty. That was not a Tim Lewicki decision, although Tim did some tremendous things with the teams and I never worked for Tim, um, but he created certainly on the court results. Richard drove Maple Leaf Square with Ian and Tom and Bob. Um, all those things that you enjoy today, um, with those winning teams, they created the business legacy for that to be in place. But Richard, um, and by the way, I read his books. Um, his, he has two out right now, at least two that I know of. Uh, Dream Job to me is the one that resonated with me the most because it just tells the story of how he got to where he is today and some of the people he worked with along the way. And, and luckily for me, I, I knew some of those stories and recognized a lot of people in the book because I had worked for them. Um, but Richard, uh, you know, when he uh, left MLSE and retired, he did his book launch. I got an invite. I got to spend a few minutes with him, bring my same CEO. He's always the first guy to comment on Twitter when I ask him something, sends me a comment on LinkedIn. And again, it's that no need to continue to engage with Mark Pettipa. Um, But as a leader, always holding himself responsible and accountable to other people's success because he genuinely desires it. So anyways, I interview with Richard Petty. And I'm, when I have guests on here, these are going to last an hour and a bit um, and we'll tell some good stories. But I but I but I interviewed Richard Petty and he goes through my resume and he goes, hmm, yep, good retail background. We talk back and forth because let me ask you something, your education. I go, here we go, because I never finished university. I still have seven credits outstanding. Um, you got Concordia University on here and you've got that you didn't finish. Tell me about that. So I explained everything. And then he says, you know, I'm not so much interested in that as I am about the fact that you're from Montreal. <laughs> 
So I said, okay, here we go. And he says, uh, are you a Habs fan? And I said, oh, yeah, I, I'm a Habs fan. You know, I've given you the truth through this whole interview, and this might lose me the job, but I'm, I'm actually a diehard Habs fan. But I would tell you I'm a diehard sports fan, and you know, and I shared with him why Leafs fans were loyal and why it would be nice to see them win a championship and how I could give my the Raptors my um, undivided attention and love as, a, as an executive and a fan. And he said, well, you know what? He goes, you're going to have to park that love for Montreal while you're here. And I thought, that was pretty cool. He took a stand from the beginning, uh, but also respected my background and didn't default me from the position because who I grew up loving in the city I was raised in in, in Montreal. So anyways, uh, worked at MLSE, Director of Consumer Products, just went in there and, and developed a team, brought in a great manager by the name of Glenn Knight, uh, kept some amazing people who were already on the team and Stevie Nichol and Mark Blanchard, who's now their director, who was at the warehouse at the time I started there. And that's full kudos to guys like Glenn, uh, Steve, who who developed Mark and then Mark, you know, moving forward to to run one of the biggest consumer products departments in all of pro sports. He's just a phenomenal individual. Anyways, uh, Glenn comes in, puts some discipline in place in the store, is the type of leader that I know the team needs, and uh, the retail store actually decertifies. And so if you're familiar with labor in Ontario, um, you know, when a union is in place, um, it, you're not removing them unless they choose they're going to remove themselves. And there is a process called decertification where um, the members in the bargaining unit can go to the labor board and say, we don't want the union anymore. And they have basically a reverse vote of when they certified. You cannot influence it. You can't be involved as an employer. Um, they have to do it on their own. And sure enough, uh, one of my career highlights and, and full kudos to Glenn, um, but just so great to see that the team decertified. They had a vote and it never happens in Ontario. It's very rare. And the team said, you know, we're getting the leadership we need. We're getting the development. We feel like we're part of the business. There's no need for us to be paying dues, to be protected. Um, so we, we really feel like, you know, we don't need that level of support. We're just not one of those departments that needs it in the organization. And they had a vote and 40 of the part-time showed up and we won 39 to one. All of this with no influence um, or even awareness that it was happening till the vote, uh, because you're not you're not allowed to influence it as an employer. But clearly, Glenn's influence over the years on leading those people correctly um, allowed that union to de decertify. And again, I am not anti-union. Just to be clear, I think in in multiple organizations there needs to be one because management is so weak and it's not protecting the people um, that someone has to and someone has to protect those rights. Um, I ju would just tell you that I'm also not pro-union. Um, in some organizations, the management team care. The employees know they can approach that management team to have their concerns resolved, and those organizations don't need um, union support. So again, no matter what side of the argument you fall on, um, I see pros and I see cons. Um, unless I unionize myself as a, as a group of one right now, um, I don't think this is a touchy subject for my business. So the union decertified under Glenn's leadership um, and, and the tremendous team of supervisors he had there. You know, and it was fun to see people like Sasha de Almeida, who was a part-time supervisor, part-time salesperson in the store, then a supervisor now on team operations with Toronto FC. 
um, and, and see those people grow within the organization and where they've gone, you know, and, and one of the guys in there, Dan Lauer, who was a part-time going into um, corporate partnerships and, and, and you just saw people grow across the organization. It was tremendous. Anyways, director of consumer products for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I go to Bob and I say, you know, I want your job one day. And he goes, like, are you sure you want my job? And I said, no, I, you know, I've been, I've been on your Air Canada Centre executive team for a couple of years now. And, and I think I'm starting to grasp all the areas of business on our business unit, one of the three. Um, and I'd love your role. Like, can, can I start to be considered for that? I know there's other great leaders here, but it's something I'd like to learn and have a shot at. And so Bob was awesome, whereas I'm very much like, you know, personal development strategy formalized that I learned to tell us. And, you know, any employee in good standing has the right to have one and, and, and document it. And every three, three months we sit down, we review it, we change it, we update it. Bob was very much PDS without the form. You know, Bob was like, listen, if you want my role, you need to understand live events and you need to understand food and beverage and you need to understand security and you need to understand guest services and you need to understand conversions um, and how we, you know, take, make hockey ice and versus flip to a basketball court or how we set up a concert, um, and how we, we even book that concert. He goes, all you know from that end right now is the merchandise side and getting the merch off the truck and getting it out and reconciling and selling it during, you know, the, the Britney Spears concert or whatever it may be. You don't even know how to book the show. And again, he's like, so here's what we're going to do. You're going to spend some time with Patty Ann Tarleton, who is the most respected leader in the music industry in Canada, from my perspective, or one of them. She's going to teach you a little bit about the business side and promoters and booking shows. And then you're going to spend some time with Jim Steele. Jim Rowe had already moved on uh, to a bigger, more senior role in the Toronto theater world. Um, and Jim's going to teach you what, what we actually do to put on a show. And I was like, wow, the production side and IATSE and everything that goes into rigging and all these crazy, crazy things that happen to put a concert on. Um, I had no exposure to nor the business implications um, of what those all meant. So, you know, I was able to see all of it at a high level and then, you know, work with uh, there was a gentleman at the time by the name of Michael Doyle who ran food and beverage, uh, who's now out in Calgary as a president, I believe, with the Canucks and the Aquilini group. Um, Michael was a different leader from, uh, from the, from my style, but boy, was he a functional expert from a leadership perspective and, and really with the help of his executive chef and leader, Brad Long took the dining experience at the Air Canada Center to whole new levels. But what people don't see is, you know, the accountability to concessions and what goes on there and the alcohol controls to protect their liquor license and, and all of the stuff that they do is just wild. And so I had to see all that at a high level. Anyways, all those functional departments that, that laid under Bob, if I wanted his role one day, I had to learn it. Um, he gave me the opportunity to go out to West Virginia to the industries, basically their little university for a week. Um, and you're dealing with all the Bob hunters across the world and they're teaching you about facility operations and, and you're going through courses with all of them as instructors and you're getting certified by the end of it. So that was part of the learning curve. What a great investment. He even came out and, and golfed with me as he was teaching there and I was able to bond even further with him. Um, and then he, what he did was he said, okay, uh, about two years and he goes, so you want the job? And I was like, where are you going? He goes, no, 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 you're not quite ready for my job yet. He said, but, uh, you know, the Toronto um, Roadrunners, as you know, left Rico and we're bringing St. John's Maple Leafs back and, and a great guy by the name of Chris Gibbs, who's now uh, the leader of the Ryerson Sport Management Pro, sorry, Tourism Management Program, I believe. Um, 
he's running the business ops and the arena. And, you know, we really think we got to let him grow ticket sales and the brand and he can't keep running the building at the same time. So here's your first little mini project. You can go over and you can do my role on a smaller scale and I'll help you through it. And, and you can run Rico Coliseum. And off I went. But what he shared at the same time was, and by the way, next spring, you'll be starting with this thing called BMO Field and you'll be employee number one. Uh, and actually, it wasn't even BMO Field when we talked about it. It was the National Soccer Stadium. And so I was the general manager of what was to become BMO Field when it got named. And I learned that business from the ground up. Bob brought me into the construction trailer with PCL to do change orders every week. So, you know, what needed to change as they were constructing the building that they saw didn't work with the original electrical, architectural, whatever plans um, that they needed to tweak and change and needed our sign off as the client? Or conversely, where did we talk to Mo Johnson at the time and he wanted something different for the dressing room for the players? And we had to go back and ask for changes through PCL every week. So I did that. I did all the FF&E ordering, uh, managed my first Gantt chart of how to put the project together, um, literally did the bidding process with the, you know, because BMO Field was owned by the city, I had to follow the city of Toronto bidding process, which was um, tedious to say the least. Um, work with Diane Young, the CEO of Exhibition Place, because ultimately she was my boss as well, because the city owned the land. Um, and at the end of the day, had a partnership with MLSE. Um, that's not the case anymore today. MLSE has taken full ownership of the stadium. But at the time this started, there was a three-way partnership between the city, um, the provincial government, and MLSE, and uh, the CSA as well. Anyways, ran BMO Field, hired all the staff, and literally probably had the coolest learning experience of my life. Uh, ran BMO Field in Rico and the General Motor Center in Oshawa as we contracted that. Uh, we got that contract to run it for them for about two years. And then uh, an opportunity came up as VP of sales and marketing for a printing company. Now you're thinking, okay, you're into sports, you're excited, you're, you've opened up one of the coolest soccer stadiums in North America and you left to go work with paper. What the were you thinking? I often ask myself that. Um, <laughs> but uh, reality is certainly was a great career decision for me, even though challenging over five to six years there. Um, one thing was it wasn't so much about the industry. It was about now I was going to be able to be VP of sales and marketing. So that traditional marketing experience, I did not have at a senior leadership level. Um, and that was one of the learning curves that I had to address. But I knew I was going to accomplish that and gain that opportunity. And so I went over there. Uh, they were a B2B business, about 10,000 accounts, worked there for six years, um, put in some sales training. Some uh, We redesigned the websites. Um, we really gave them their first um, social media presence. Um, I brought in a tremendous manager by the name of CJ Tremblay. Uh, who worked with me at BMO Field. She's phenomenal. Uh, Cynthia Tremblay, if you want to check her out on LinkedIn, if any of you guys want a top flight marketer, not that she's probably looking to leave her work, so I'm certainly not um, pushing her, <laughs> but you should look at her. She's a great uh, future leader, if not one already, uh, and you'll be hearing lots from her. But CJ came on board and helped me with the marketing team. On the sales team, I already had an, a great leader there by the name of Paul Zarnett, who's still with TPH today. Uh, another gentleman by the name of Terry Reed, and we built the program up. Um, we did our job, and I moved on. Um, I guess by the shortness of that, you could probably tell there's a, there's a few things unsaid. Um, let's just say that my leadership values weren't in perfect alignment. 
And, and you know, when people say that, people on the other end think, oh boy, it must be bad. No, no, no. They are an extremely successful Canadian company that have changed the lives of so many of their employees and of their customers. We just led in different ways. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing. And so, you know, I kind of get upset when people think, well, you know, you left or they didn't like you or what was it? And and boy, if you say they, they didn't lead like you, what was their problem? Absolutely not. Everybody has a different leadership style. It doesn't make them bad people. And I realized after five and a half years of working for the family that we didn't align on that front. Um, but keep in mind, they've built a 50-year-old company plus now. Um with 70 plus branches across the country and 10,000 business accounts, and they are arguably the best printer in Canada. I'm just a guy who just started his own company with employee of one. So always keep that context when you hear feedback that they're doing something right from my perspective. But to sit here and say we were aligned with how to lead people would probably be a disservice to both of us. Um, but I got a lot of great experience um, the O'Born family are tremendous people. Uh, Jamie, the president there is awesome. Um, you know, Sarah, Andrew, Scott, um, Janice, Earl, um, you know, they're just a great Canadian family. Um, and they've done great things for great people and the management team there. If you're an account of theirs, you're extremely lucky because they absolutely care about you. Having said all of that, there was certainly tension at the end of my career there with uh, the leadership style conflict. Um, so got a call from a recruiter and, and, uh, ended up out in Guelph, Ontario, where I am today as a VP of fusion sales, sorry, VP at fusion homes of their sales team. Went in there, created my sales training. Like I always do, uh, work with SQM out of Toronto, uh, to do mystery shopping program to support the behaviors, um, and, and worked for a gentleman by the name of Lee for, for six years. And, and I got to tell you, <laughs> I met Lee. Uh, and his wife at the time, Alicia, uh, for the interview. And I went into that interview quick, kicking and screaming. I literally called Knightsbridge to complain about the recruiter who called me because she wouldn't leave me alone after I said no. And when I called Jock to complain, who was one of the partners there at the time, he's like, hey, man, we just think you're a fit. Why don't you come down and have a coffee for future opportunities? And I met Jock, and he was tremendous. Uh, don't know where he's at today. Um and they, Knightsbridge, are the reason I even drove from Burlington to Guelph and TPH was in Toronto to, to meet with Lee. And I got to tell you, you want to meet one of the brightest minds in business, you got to be looking at this guy in Guelph. And I was about to say kid because he's actually younger than me by a couple of years. Uh, but Lee is one of the most astute businessmen I've ever worked for. Um, had the interview with him and I came back and I told my wife, I'm taking the job. And she's like, well, did they make you an offer? And I said, no. She said, well, you're a pretty shitty negotiator <laughs> and you're going to be their sales leader. I uh, just, and so, you know, we laughed and I said, you know, they, they just, they're doing it the right way. You know, they're, they're known for customer service. They're known for the way they treat their employees. And the reason he wants to grow the business um, is one related to both of those key anchors. So I want to be a part of that. Um, and I just lovely. And I still do today. And again, unlike, sorry, not unlike all of my career progression, I have my disagreements. I have my strong beliefs. Um, but on the whole, I like I got to tell you, I agree with Lee um, and learned a lot from that guy. Um, but I came out there and I did that for six years and, you know, well, probably five and a bit. And about two years in, he came to me and said, hey, do you want to do you want to kind of take over IT? And I said, 
you know, for a couple couple months till we, you know, find an IT leader. And, and that stayed with me for four years. And I'm lucky because I, I work with uh, uh, Andrew and Nick and Sue. And, and, and Nick, to me, is just one of the best human beings I've ever had the pleasure to lead. Um, and then I took on the after-sales service side because Lee was a very smart leader. And he thought, you know, if I'm giving you the sales team, which is making the promise I'm certainly going to make you accountable to the after-sales service once the construction team's built the home because you're going to be motivated to make sure what your sales team promised them is what they're experiencing if there's any deficiencies on the build. And so your after-sales service team is going to come in, fired up and aligned with the sales team to deliver on the promise. Um, here's what I'll tell you about Lee um, and Fusion Homes. And all you have to do is Google that company and their growth has been tremendous. And it's no surprise with the people who work there and, and the type of leader that Lee is and how smart that guy is. Um, Lee is hands down. Now listen, I worked for Richard Petty. I told you about Lisa. I told you about Jackie, Bob, Ian Clark at CFO and all these tremendous leaders. Lee is hands down the best at strategic planning and business decisions and negotiation that I have ever met in my life. Hands down. I learned just by observing, because Lee was very much, I'll teach you by you observing what I do and I'll expose you to it without being literal about that. You have to pay attention. Um, but just by learning how he ran his business, it brought my leadership levels to, to a whole other level. Um, the analytical side and the strategic side of, of being the vice president or president in a company, um, I really paid attention to that guy. Um, at the end of the day, same thing, the Mark Petipoff, five to six years, shelf life, time to go, um, happened to me there. And I was ready. Um, I was at that intersection where the company was going in one way and I was going in the other um, and realized again that that leadership alignment maybe wasn't there. And again, I can't stress enough, that could be just as much a me problem as a them problem. And, and really, at the end of the day, I don't believe it was ever a problem. It was just a difference in the way the business was going. And so, you know, I, I looked for something else. And, and I took my first stab at consulting for a few months. And it was quite frankly, hey, I'm luckily in a position in my life where I can afford this. I can take a few months. Uh, Lee was extremely classy and, and, and very supportive of the move. Um, it put me in a position to enjoy the summer with my kids, do a little bit of consulting for some people I knew in the Guelph market and see what was next. One of the guys that I consulted for was a gentleman by the name of Sean out of Burlington who owns Dunsire, uh, consulted for a couple months and he just kind of looked at me and said, okay, why don't we just do this? Come on in and run the company. And that was my first president opportunity of running, you know, the full operations of a Canadian home building company from land to construction to finance to sales, to marketing, to client services. Um, and I built up my team, my senior leadership team. I was there, implemented some, you know, servant leadership training, uh, implemented um, how we were gonna go about cost controls and projects and budgeting. Um, did the first strategic plan in the, in the organization's history with the entire company and then COVID hit. And then, you know, <laughs> I, stood on my leadership soapbox so everyone would um, see that I was going first and said, hey, if we ever have to lay one employee off, it starts with me. Yeah, it started with me. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was laid off. 
um, was sitting on the sidelines on a, on a part, you know, on a temporary layoff. And I immediately recognized that this was going to be longer than anyone thought. I recognized that I had a guy that I worked for who I loved, who was a tremendous human being, had run his own company for 10 years and brought me in for growth. So the last person he needed in crisis mode was a high paying, a high paid president. Um, and so I knew as much as he kept touching base with me and wanting me to come back, that that wasn't in the cards. Um, and, and, and Dunsire will be just fine because Sean's a great leader and a great human being. But my return in a leadership role was going to take a while. And so, you know, this thing about consulting that I dipped in, you know, a year and a bit ago, I really enjoyed it. And so I've, I don't know if it's reading it in a book or seeing it on all these inspirational videos, but, you know, you always hear the story of the person making the difficult decision when it was the worst time to make it. And honestly, that was in the back of my head saying, I know I need to start my own business. And I know it's not because I want to be rich. Hey, don't get me wrong. I'd like the finer things in life. At some point, if I can get out of debt, um, that would be great. Uh, a little cottage and a little boat would be nice. Um, not there yet. Um, but I knew the reason I wanted to run my own business was the portion of the president role that I loved. Right. So, you know, having gone from stockroom to and this is where, you know, my one single alone podcast will give you an understanding of why stockroom to the boardroom. My journey from shifting shoes at a champ sports in St. Bruno, Quebec, when I was 19, um, all the way to now, you know, store manager, area manager, director, vice president, vice president, in multiple departments, president, um, volunteer board member at Habitat for Humanity. So sitting in an actual director position on a board, I'd experienced the full gamut of responsibility. And I knew what I liked about every single position along the way. It's going to sound cheesy. It's going to sound corny. But any of you that have worked with me would know this. The part I love the most about this job is sitting down with someone else and helping them get unstuck or helping them progress more rapidly or simply paying it forward. What Mark McRae taught me and Lisa Larder taught me and Jackie Fu taught me and Bob Hunter taught me and Richard Petty taught me and Lisa and Lee Piccoli taught me and Sean um, Keeper taught me. It's up to me to pass that on to everybody else so they can grow and be successful. And I thought the only way I'm going to truly be happy loving what I do is to literally get into this thing now and do it. Yes, it's the pandemic, but maybe organizations are looking for the help now more than ever as they're realizing that people are sitting at home and this might be the opportunity to drive their skills and development. It might be the opportunity for them to consider their first strategic plan. It might be the opportunity for them to finally invest in servant leadership. So not only can they grow their company, they can grow their people and put their head on the pillow. It might be that time to invest in disciplined sales training that can be measured, coached, and tweaked. It might be that time um, to invest in a client service management program that has all the soups, soup to nuts and behaviors and the software systems to support it all. It might be that time for all of that stuff that's about developing people. And that's what I've always loved to do. I got to tell you, you know, I had a hard time sitting across a table on a land deal or a financing deal, making a richer person richer, and there's nothing wrong with that, who really at the end of the day didn't care about my people. 
that was tough. And that was a signal for me that it wasn't my world. Um, and I can get into my world and do just my world till it's time for me to move on to greener pastures. And I hope that's golf courses. <laughs> um, you know, in my in my early 60s, if I'm if I'm blessed enough to be around, um, that I'm gonna finish this professional life doing what I love, impacting others, and I want to see them grow and succeed. I won't work with companies who don't care about that. You know, I can quickly read into a business owner or a leader who's full of shit. Sorry, I guess there's no way of saying that. Um, when everything's about, you know, the bottom line and I want to understand how to improve my margins and those are all important things in business. Uh, okay, but what about like skills to I don't care if they got to get it done or I'm going to find someone else. Those are the clients. And again, no criticism. They're not the clients I'm going to work with. I'm going to work with the individuals who want to grow a successful financial life and build a very successful company, but not at the cost of their people and understand that the best way to grow a company is to grow people because that's how you scale. And that is stockroom to the boardroom. And this will be the only time that you'll hear me talk for 45 minutes. My goal is to not do another one of these until I get a fantastic guest on here. Um, it could be you. So what I don't want to do is do the regular podcast where I get, you know, someone who comes in and speaks just to their philosophy about leadership and business um, and adds no value to the listener, which maybe none of you right now. <laughs> but hopefully if this thing grows, which is only meant to provide um, some content for you to consider and might help, um, they need to be sharing stories. They need to have a career and life story where they've been exactly where you've been and add some value. So that's my desired guest. And if you're one of those leaders who's been very successful and has done that through falling down uh, and talks more about the people they developed than their career themselves um, and the lessons they've learned, you know, you're the type of person I want on this podcast. I also want to hear from you. And what I mean by you is, you know, the person listening to this, either because you're bored and you got nothing else to do. No, I hope it's not because of that. Um, but you want to grow your career and you want to find out what's the mystery um, and, and how the heck did a guy from Montreal, Quebec get to where he's got um, after being born in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia in the original trailer park from the trailer park boys, may I add, thank you very much. Um, I might as well just be drinking like rum and Coke and have a black tight t-shirt on during these. Um, but you know, to realize that it's that it's not rocket science. It's a little bit of discipline and it's a whole lot of caring. That's what I've seen from all the best leaders. They care so much about one, absolutely the success of the business. They have a responsibility to the stakeholders and the owners to deliver. There's no denying that in business. It is business after all. But two, they've chosen that path because they genuinely care about making other people successful because they realize if they serve first, they'll be successful later and everyone will win through those efforts. Um, and, and that's how you learn about it. And that's how you grow. Um, and I plan to have you on this to maybe talk about where you are in year seven of that path. It's funny, if you would have asked me at 21 what it was like to manage a store and what that meant in leadership and where I wanted to go, I probably would have been even more interesting, believe it or not. Um, than I am today when I go on other people's podcasts. 
Um, so I want to include some of you in this journey as well. And so if you're interested in being a guest, I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to hear why. So here's how you can reach me. Um, my business website for the Mark Pettipaw Group sounds so impressive, doesn't it? But it's a group of one, Mark Pettipaw. Um, my website is www.markpettipaw.com. So that's M-A-R-C-P-E-T-I-T-P-A-S.com. Pitsipa, Mark, Mark with a C. And you can contact me on the contact me button there. You can um, find me on LinkedIn. Again, just search my name, M-A-R-C-P-E-T-I-T-P-A-S. Send me a message asking for a connection, saying podcast interest. Um, you can find me on all the other social media avenues as well. So hoping this podcast is a little different. There's a million out there, but why not a million and one? Stockroom to the boardroom. It's easier than you think. It hurts more than you know. It's attainable and it's a great ride. Hey, my friends. Cheers.